Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Ben Franklin once wrote in a letter, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. That's for those of you out there who have not yet filed your taxes. July 15th, you're welcome. But the reason I bring it up today is not because of tax day, but because there are always transitions in life. That is a certain thing as well. Anytime there is a new thing that is beginning or an old thing that is coming to an end, transitions are occurring. And our guest today is talking about what leaders need to know during these key times of transition. We're going to get to a little bit more about our guests in just a second. But first, do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the MindScan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the MindScan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link and the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the MindScan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. Our guest today provides clients with key strategic insights while helping them develop plans to profitably execute their visions. At Peak Advisory Group, as well as through private mentoring, she consults with business owners identifying business gaps and opportunities to increase value and prepare them for the next stage of business evolution, from growth to varied exit strategies. Here is Jennifer Peak. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So are you ready for these? I'm ready. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? You know, it's interesting. I've had a variety of experiences with leaders and as a leader. And I think the biggest one for me is watching how leaders actually lead versus manage. And there's some, some nuances to that. And, and what I've noticed in a lot of leaders is mostly they have skill sets that are 95% fantastic. Um, but that 5% where they are, where they, they're uncomfortable is usually the situation can really create some challenges for their team. And, and usually it's around dealing with problem employees. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? Flexible, focused, and strategic. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? 
So I actually have two on that one. Um, the first one is, what are we doing well? And then the second one is, where do you think we're missing the ball? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? That's a trick question. If I have to pick one that I think would apply to any leader, almost regardless of where they are in their leadership journey, it would be Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Or Sinek, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. I think there are just certain behaviors that every leader should demonstrate and exemplify. And I think this book does a good job of pointing those out. Otherwise, I think it becomes more specific based on where a leader might be in their personal development, in their leadership development, um, or even what, what stage their business is in. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? To take a hard look at where they're abdicating decision-making or authority or tasks versus delegating. Um, there's a big difference between those two. And I think a lot of leaders believe that when they hand something off, they're delegating. And that's not always the correct case. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Why not? I really abide by the, uh, you know, a corollary question is what's the worst that could happen? And the reality is there's there's very few things that when you're applying this question that you can't recover from. And I think it really makes you look at a lot of the reasons that you will grow from, whereas I think why is a little bit more limiting because now you're looking for evidence and approval and confirmation that may not exist if you're walking the edge. So Jennifer, you are here today to share with us some insights for leaders, especially when it comes to exit strategies with businesses. Before we get into that, I'd love for you to give listeners an overview of what you do and how you got into this line of work, helping leaders strategize and get a clear picture of what their business is and what it could be. So I started, you know, my career went through college, um, went through public accounting as an auditor, and then moved into corporate America. And I came out of corporate America a little over 10 years ago and started my firm and built my company around those elements of all that experience that I just ran through really quickly um, in terms of what I like to do best and combining it, you know, elements from each of those. So when I was an auditor, most of the companies that I worked with were small to mid-sized companies. Many of them were family owned and there was at least, you know, one or two generations working in the business. In corporate America, I worked for a Fortune 50 company, but I learned a lot of skill sets around mergers and acquisitions. So I was able to combine those two elements and bring my Fortune 50 experience and really leverage that to work with um, smaller companies, family-owned firms that were going through some sort of transition, whether that was an intergenerational transition or whether that was just an exit strategy. And it, it's been wonderful to be able to focus on those very specific elements um, and really working with the smaller companies than um, the large, large companies, even though that's, that's exciting on its own, right? And that is what our firm is focused on. So 
we look at everything through a lens of business valuation. And generally speaking, the things that are going to improve the value of a company are going to be the things that make a company run better anyway. So you don't have to pick and choose which things you do in terms of business valuation or what makes sense for your company because they go hand in hand. And we really help our clients and business owners understand what those elements are and what the trade-offs are sometimes because you can't do everything. And so talk about the importance of the business value focus. Why is it that that is one of the key areas that you focus on? When somebody gets ready to exit, valuation is usually the first thing that comes up, uh, interestingly enough. And, and the reason behind that is, is because most business owners look at exiting their company through a lens of how much can I get for it? You know, is it worth it to go through the process? And most business owners also have some number or range in mind of what they think their company is worth. Now, that could be based on what they need to get from the sale of their business. It can also just be based on their revenues, the sweat equity they put into it, you know, different elements like that. And that may or may not coincide with what the market's willing to pay or what other types of valuation techniques would come to pass. But getting that out there in front as a discussion point and helping business owners understand what the elements are that are either improving or working against them in a valuation perspective is very helpful. And there's some of those things that can be addressed very, very quickly that allows them then to continue on an exit path. So what are some of those ways to value a business? I'm sure there are better ways and worse ways, but when it comes to figuring out how much a business is worth, I'm guessing some of those metrics are going to be a little bit different in the small business context than in the corporation context. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. In a, in a small business scenario, it's highly likely that the buyer of a company is going to be a financial buyer. They're, they're, so let me back up for a second. There are generally two types of buyers. One is a financial buyer and one is a strategic buyer. So a financial buyer would be Bob wants to sell his company and Joe is going to buy it. And Joe goes and gets a loan to buy Bob's company and that's the transaction. And, you know, Joe doesn't own another company that that is a nice strategic fit. He, he wasn't involved otherwise. He may have come straight out of corporate America. He may he could also have been an employee of the company. So that's a financial buyer. A strategic buyer is somebody that is either in is somehow in the same space. It could be a supplier. It could be um, a customer. It could be a competitor. It could be somebody that is in, you know, somewhere in the same vertical or horizontal business cycle. So it could be complementary, right? You could have a countertop company and a cabinet company. They could merge or one could buy the other. And most of what you see in corporate America are the strategic acquisitions. And that's where you start to hear buzzwords like, synergies and market share and, and different things like that. And, and those elements get considered in evaluation. Whereas if you have a financial buyer, none of those items exist. So usually when we're valuing a smaller business, 
we're not worried about things like cost cutting or synergies or market share because those aren't part of the acquisition process. And it's, and it's something that I think can be overwhelming to a seller when they think about all of the buzzwords. And a lot of those things just don't apply to them. So Bob is the owner in this context. And if he started the business, is he more likely to be emotionally connected to the business? I guess the answer would obviously be yes there. But does that become a difficulty in the valuation process? Um, it depends on what his what behaviors that emotion translates into. So one of the, interestingly enough, going back to those initial questions that, that we were talking about, you know, one of the areas where I think leaders can sometimes fall down, whether they're an owner of a company or not, is that they, they get emotionally invested in an employee, a situation, a customer, you know, different things like that. And they're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, not increase prices. You know, there's a lot of ways that that emotional attachment can show up. One of the things that happens when you go to sell your company is that a lot of times that emotional attachment shows up in what you think your company is worth. And um, it can really come out in different ways through the sales process and what I mean, the selling of your company's process. Now, most business owners also have a huge interest in making sure that the company continues to do well. It's at some level their legacy. And that could be because they want to make sure the employees stayed employed. They want to make sure the customers are taken care of. They, If the name continues on, they want it to still hold that value in the marketplace. And those are all really good emotional reasons to make sure that the buyer on the other side of the table is a good fit for continuing to carry that company forward. So I take it that when you're working with both buyers and sellers, you have to be, uh, when you're working with them, talking through the process and making sure things go well, you're probably going to have to be one of those people that has to be neutral in that process. Is that right? That's right. Is that a, is that a pretty easy thing to do as a third party? You know, it's an easy thing for us to do partially because of the way that I have chosen to set up my company and the way that we price our services. So in the mergers and acquisition space, it's highly common for there to be contingency fees or success fees. And we don't price our services that way. Our services are based on retainers or they're based on hourly fees or, you know, elements like that that aren't attached to the success or not of the transaction. So we're more interested in making sure that what happens makes sense and advising our clients from that place of neutrality. So we advise both buyers and sellers, not on the same transaction, but we do work with people you know, on either side of, of the transaction. So that adds value, one, that we've seen both sides of the transaction, and two, we can remain neutral. And our clients come to us for, for that neutrality and the benefit that they can gain from that. I'm really intrigued to hear from you about some of the things that anyone who's listening today, whether or not they have a business at the moment that they're looking to sell, whether or not they're even the primary leader of an organization, 
when it comes to transitioning over from you being the leader to someone else taking the head, what recommendations do you, or maybe maybe a better question is, what are some things that you've seen that leaders have a difficult time doing that we could learn from? There, it's, it's really interesting because I think, especially in small to mid-sized companies, a lot of leaders have been the go-to person right? They're the primary decision maker and they may hold some other critical roles in the organization. And depending upon how big the team is, they may or may not have managers. Leaders that have grown up with their companies are less likely to have a management team in place um, because it's just, it's such an organic process. Whereas leaders who come into an organization are, are more likely to, to delegate and to put those people in place. And, you know, if you're, if you fall into that first bucket of that organic growth, where you're the go-to person as the leader for a lot of different types of decisions from operational to financial to, you know, customer facing decisions, then it's harder to transition because now you're trying to train somebody who's never worked at your likely has never worked at your company on all aspects of the company down to really low level details. And that's a big challenge. There's a lot of things that can fall through the cracks and it is time consuming. And at this, you know, if you think about it at that point, that business owner as a leader has made the decision that they're leaving the company, right? They are no longer the owner. They don't have the authority. And really, they need to be moving out because the new owner needs to be seen as the leader. And there's all of the all of the things, right? There's so many details that need to be transitioned. And so, you know, one of the biggest challenges I think we see is that once our business owners have decided that, yep, I'm good, I'm out of here, they're ready to be out of there. And that does not always make for a great transition and it it can be very abrupt. And that's where I see the the biggest challenges. The, The transitions that work more easily are if you've got some type of management team in place, even if it's just a general manager, it doesn't have to be like five people. It could be one person. But if you've got some sort of management team in place, some sort of set processes, documented or not, that can help the team continue on without having to get, you know, answers every hour on the hour to the things that are going on inside the company. So a couple of follow-up questions to that, and you may not have direct answers, but I'd still be interested to hear any input you have. First of all, do you have any idea on what a good length of time it is to have a management team in place before selling the company? I'm guessing that the longer is better, but any insight there? And then also, what would you say is the success rate from what you've seen of transitions with a management team versus transitions without a management team? Um, You know... That really can go either way. So one thing that I would say is this is that is often a recommendation that gets made when a business, when a business owner is first considering selling. So depending upon the nature of the business and the other risks associated with it, we recommend that they start putting folks in place as they get ready to list the company. Keep in mind that most companies 
from the time that they get listed to the time that the deal actually closes, that's anywhere from six to 12 months. So if you hired somebody right at the beginning of that process, they're going to have six to 12 months worth of experience by the time the deal closes. So that is something to keep in mind. If it is what I would call a critical role, and to me, what I call a critical role is anything that is day-to-day -day operations management. So if you're in a construction industry, if you have some sort of you know, actual production that you're doing, like manufacturing or fabrication or like a distribution center that requires more of that hands-on management, you want to make sure you get somebody in place there. The other one is sales. So a lot of times an owner is the face of the company, they're the primary salesperson. Um, so it's critical to have some of those roles defined and get those handoffs in place. You can do that concurrent with having your company listed for sale. So those are the ones that I would recommend beforehand. And I do think that you can get that done in six to 12 months and have it be, have it be fine. The, the new owner doesn't want to necessarily have to hire those people. They don't know enough about the company and they're going to have a whole bunch of other things on their plate. So having those hires made and making sure that they're fitting in with the rest of the team and the culture of the company is important. Um, as far as the second question, in terms of which transitions are more successful, whether there's a management team or not, it really depends on the company. Well, actually, it depends on two things. It depends on the company and it depends on what the new owner's goals are for the company. And what I mean by that second comment is most acquisitions and the owners, the new owners have intentions to grow the company and the existence of a management team can help them execute that more effectively. And that can be a critical component of the financing structure of the strategic combination, whether you're a financial buyer or a strategic buyer. So having those those teams in place, again, it can be something as simple as a general manager and a sales manager, but having those consistent conversations and those employees in place can really help execute on the plan. And that's why I think those are more likely to succeed. Otherwise, it's all on the shoulders of the new owner. Um, and that that just can be that can be dangerous. Um, in a transition. And as a follow-up to that, one thing that I'm wondering is if there's not a management team that the owner has and you have the six to 12 month window, should the seller and the buyer work together to form that management team? Because one of the things when you mentioned the, the possibility of growing the business, I'm wondering if the seller and buyer might have slightly different visions and therefore need slightly different management. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's true because I think that... Um, and I'll use a simple math example, and, and I'm going to talk about the financial buyer. We could talk about the strategic buyer too, but it's easier to talk about the financial buyer. So as a financial buyer, um, the buyer often takes out a loan to buy the company. And in a lot of cases, um, in fact, in most of the transactions that we work on, particularly with those family-owned companies that were started 35 years ago, they don't have any debt on them. And so the acquisition itself 
creates a new financing requirement that didn't exist yesterday. So that, that in and of itself creates a difference in how the seller and the buyer look at the business and in, in terms of, you know, what they needed to generate and in the consistency of how those results occur. So from that perspective, who is on the management team is going to be looking at it likely through the lens of whoever hired them. And it's possible that the skill sets may be different depending upon the position. So, you know, to your point, the seller may be interested in finding a really good operations manager and all they really want that operations manager to do is just make sure that the assembly line keeps running. They're not interested in improving efficiency or worried about employee turnover or any of those things that have an intrinsic cost to them. Whereas a new owner might hire somebody who is really looking at processes and process improvement and making sure that the results are um, generating a good return and, and really making sure that they have the right employees in place on that team. And there's other examples like that. So I've definitely had clients where the seller has hired somebody in the interest of helping a transaction along and it not be a good long-term fit after the sale closes. That makes total sense. And I appreciate you coming on today and sharing with us about some of these things. I honestly don't think we've talked about this too much on the show. So you're really bringing a a totally new perspective to a topic that we haven't covered yet. There are a few things that I want to make sure that we get to that you said earlier in the interview that piqued my interest and I think could be interesting to other people as well. So I'm hoping that we can get 30 to 60 second sound bites and maybe some word association with these things. So you ready? I'm ready. All right. Leading versus managing. In my view, leading is more important 55% than managing, but without management, leaders will fail. Abdicating versus delegating. So on on that side, it's easy to hand a task or responsibility to somebody and not give them a direction, not give them follow-up, which is abdicating versus delegating which is putting a structure in place and making sure that everybody understands what the goal is, um, what the outcome should be, and how the feedback loop works. And this might not be the best characterization of this question, but big corporation mindset versus family-owned business mindset. That's a good way to put it. Um, Big corporation mindset typically results in abdicating and also results in very structured position thinking. Like that's not my responsibility. That's somebody else's responsibility. Um, Tunnel vision is another way to think about that. In In a small company or a family owned business, you typically have more of a team environment where people are working together. They have more than just one responsibility. And so they have to make sure that they're balancing the different elements of what's going on inside the company. 
Jennifer, thank you for your thoughtful answers there. Before we finish up the interview, are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with, either that you'd like to reiterate from our conversation today or that you'd like to bring up that we haven't had a chance to bring up yet? Um, the, the only thing that I'll say, and I'll go back to your leading versus managing question, and, and that is that there are a few people in the world that can do both really well. And I think it's important to understand what somebody's primary disposition is. That's not that you can't train somebody to be a good manager or train somebody to be a good leader, but understanding what their base level talent is, is important. There's only so much that you can develop and you want to make sure you know if you're, if you're doing it in a way that's not only good for the company, but it's also good for the person. Well, Jennifer, if people have connected with what you've shared today, where can they go to find out more about you and the work that you do, as well as the special offer I believe you have for the listeners? Sure. So you can find me on our website, which is Peak Advisory, P-E-E-K, advisory.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then the special offer is to help business owners get some insights into the value drivers of their business. And it's a, it's a simple quiz. It can be found at businessvaluequiz.com. Um, regardless of your answers, you'll get a 19-page report that helps you see where you are, what you can do to improve. Um, it doesn't give you a monetary value, but it, it does give you a lot of insights that you can take and, and use inside your company you know, as early as tomorrow. All right, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jennifer today. I thought it was great to have someone talk to us about leadership transitions because that's something that we haven't delved into much on this podcast yet. Now, let's go ahead and go to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. Leaders need to be very aware of their emotional connections so that they don't get too invested and make poor judgments. Of course, this comes when you are looking to sell a business, but it comes in all sorts of other areas as well. For instance, one of the things that Jennifer mentioned is working with problem employees and not taking action soon enough. That's something that Craig LeMasters from a couple episodes ago mentioned as well. The second key takeaway is that a management team is key to leadership transitions so that they can provide the process information and other key insight that might otherwise leave with the business owner. Make sure that you have people and processes in place so that the business can continue without you. Or if you are taking something on, make sure that when you come into that organization, you have the information that you need and that it doesn't leave with the people who are leaving. And the final key takeaway is Jennifer's insight on leadership versus management. She said that leading, in her opinion, is slightly more important than managing, but without management, leaders fail. You might be one of those people who does both well, but the truth is you probably have a tendency toward one or the other, but if you are a leader and you don't have as much of a proclivity toward management, make sure you get the right people in place so that you and your organization or that you and your team can succeed. Now, next episode is interview episode 100. I hope to see you there. We're going to be talking about the findings of a 10-year study that covered over 700 leaders. So this is going to be chock full of great leadership information. And it actually is a book that was written by a father-son duo. I hope you'll join us once again later this week. And until then, keep living and leading well. Well, 
Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.